Well, as is tradition with this podcast, as soon as we get done recording something, hours later, Auburn makes moves of some kind. This has happened so many times in the past, and it has happened once again. Um, so here's the thing. This is a pretty long podcast. Towards the end of the podcast, we talk about Auburn football, especially their recruiting. I mentioned several times in that we could go back and forth about how Auburn doesn't have coordinators in place and how that has it really affected their recruiting. That is true. <laughs> that is still true. Um, but it seems like they do have coordinators in place. So keep that in mind when you're listening towards the end of the episode that that was recorded hours before the news breaks of Auburn landing on both of their coordinators reportedly. Uh, first off, Ron Roberts, defensive coordinator, formerly of Baylor, and offensive coordinator Philip Montgomery, formerly of Tulsa. Now, uh, the Ron Roberts news was first reported by uh, Bruce Feldman at The Athletic, um, and then the Philip Montgomery news, I believe Justin Hokinson was the first one I saw here locally uh, reporting that Philip Montgomery would be the next OC at Auburn, so wanted to give both of those guys their credit there for the scoops. Let's talk about it. These are two very scheme-based coordinator picks for Hugh Freeze. I want to go back to something that Hugh Freeze said at his opening press conference a couple weeks ago um, when he was talking about fit and the staff and all that. He said, staff has to drive the culture. I'm not near as concerned about X's and O's with most of the staff. The defensive coordinator has got to be masterful with that. This hire of Ron Roberts um, is very much what you would lean into that with as X's and O's. When Auburn was linked to a, f- a couple of former Auburn guys for the defensive coordinator job, uh, including uh, Travis Williams and uh, Charles Kelly, the thing there is that those guys are kind of known more right now, at least for, for T. Will since he's only two years into his coordinator t- time, but more of a core, more of a recruiting guy coordinator than x's and o's first and foremost not saying you know i don't want to say anything about the x's and o's of 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 either of those guys but primarily you would know those guys more as recruiters at this point in their in their respective careers ron roberts on the other hand is an x's and o's guy this is a football dude who has been coaching for a very very long time he uh coached uh, high school ranks, small college ranks for a while, um, and then was the defensive coordinator, then the head coach at Delta State in the mid-2000s. Delta State is a D2 program. Uh, had four 10-win seasons there uh, in his five years before going to southeastern Louisiana. Went Took them to the playoffs a couple of years. And then um, went from South, southeastern Louisiana, when that started tailing off, he was uh, Louisiana Lafayette's defensive coordinator, where he crossed paths with one Zach Etheridge. Uh, and then from 2020 to 2022, he was the defensive coordinator at Baylor. Now, he was Dave Aranda's defensive coordinator at Baylor. He was once Dave Aranda's boss at Delta State, which is an interesting little, little uh, tidbit there. It's scheme, though. Everybody who's watched Baylor play defense, everybody who's watched LSU play defense that 2019 season, anybody who's seen De- Wisconsin's uh, old, uh, Dave Aranda's old defenses when he was at Wisconsin, it's scheme. It is very much 
try a lot of different ways to slow people down. Um, very creative with their use of defensive fronts, coverages, blitz packages. Dave Aranda is known for being one of the smartest defensive guys in football. And Ron Roberts is a guy who was once his head coach, and on top of that was a guy who worked for him the last three seasons at Baylor. Now, he is no longer at Baylor. Baylor took a big step back on defense this past season, lost a lot of starters, a lot of experience, and they were middle of the road in in the big uh, or in the country in yards per play. Had some tough times on third downs, especially, um, and they went six and six, fell below expectations. And Roberts, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this: Dave Aranda has made some quick trigger moves as a head coach. Roberts wasn't coming back to Baylor, but very well respected for his X's and O's and for his scheme. It's a very interesting fit there. Um, I think it's going to be – I'm very interested to see what Ron Roberts can do at a place like Auburn where he will have more talent at his disposal than he's had at any point in his coaching career. No disrespect to Baylor, no disrespect to Louisiana and, and the smaller schools that he, that he coached for, but what can he do with – higher caliber SEC athletes is my question because the creativity and the scheme and the game planning has definitely been there. Last season, 2021, Baylor had a top 10 defense in scoring, top 30 defense in yards per play. They were nasty, won the Big 12. Uh, Great, great defense, but lost a lot from that defense. And so when I look at Roberts' track record and his influences and his scheme and what he's done in the past and look at this season, okay, what happened this year? I think it's kind of more of a thing. Again, I might be it might be putting it too simplistically, but when you lose a lot of experience, you're at a place like Baylor where you're not recruiting at a super super high level year in and year out, and so that's where you have bigger drop offs. It's harder to kind of maintain that. I think that can explain a lot of kind of what happened at Baylor this past year. We'll have to dig in more, obviously. This is, you know, within an hour or two of the of the news breaking when I'm talking about this. But having a guy who has worked with Dave Aranda, been with Dave Aranda, has a similar defensive philosophies to Dave Aranda, that scheme-wise makes a ton of sense. And it really tracks with what Hugh Freeze said in his press conference saying, hey, I need my defense coordinator to be an X's and O's guy. Uh, and that's... That seems to be what they have in Ron Roberts. Very interested in this hire. I know people are going to look at last this past season and question it, which is understandable. I would also say, remember that you know Kevin Steele was a pretty widely panned hire when Auburn made it and turned out to be one of the best things they ever did as a program over the last decade. So I say all that to say, don't rush to judgment so quickly on defense coordinators, especially guys who have been well-traveled and have had um, you know, some good successes at, at, at other places. Painter, my point to you that I want to ask you right here about Ron Roberts specifically at your computer. Painter, have you seen a picture of Ron Roberts yet? He's got the silver hair. I'm saying, are you getting the... You're a big Ellis Johnson guy. I want to be careful about big Ellis Johnson guy. Big Ellis well, Johnson hair, hair guy. Right, so that's what I'm saying. How are you going to feel about you know? Hey, you're getting you're getting a little bit of that, you're getting a little bit of that silver fox back on the sidelines for Auburn's defense. He's zero and zero as an Auburn defensive coordinator. So, did I say that word right? Defensive coordinator. 
So right now mm-hmm. it's all gravy. All right. Um, the hair is good. We love it. I aspire to that. It is not going to be as good if the defenses suck, but if they're good, wow, compounding effect. I think it's very similar to kind of like what Auburn got when they got Derek Mason, when you're like, hey, the scheme's there. Like, look at everybody who knows this dude talks about how much he knows his football and knows his X's and O's. It's just like, well, oh, these numbers don't look so hot. And it's like, well, he's playing with – Vanderbilt talent, you know, and and I think it in this case with Baylor, again Baylor's been really good. That Baylor's not Vanderbilt in terms of talent, but I do think Baylor really felt this past season the effect of losing as much experience is because th- this is not a program that's built on top twenty recruiting classes. At Auburn, you should have that a little bit. You should have a little bit more consistency with the talent that you bring in year in and year out. So that might be really really effective for him um, as a guy that likes to watch. X's and O's stuff and scheme stuff. I think it's a potentially fun hire just because I'm a big Dave Aranda guy. And I know Dave Aranda just parted ways with this dude, but they, you know, they've, they've spent a lot of time together. And I think that, that, that influence and vice versa, um, is really going to show, I think on, on this defense. So we shall see, we shall see. Philip Montgomery, on the other hand, also a former Baylor assistant coach. The thing with Philip Montgomery though is, it's been a hot minute since he's been an offensive coordinator. You got to go all the way back to 2012 through 2014 when he was offensive coordinator. He he also was the co OC uh, from 08 to 11 at Baylor. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, his offenses at Baylor were nuts. Uh, you you know the Robert Griffin the third teams when Baylor was at its absolute best at yards per play scoring. You know, being really innovative with their running game, but also throwing it deep downfield. That was Philip Montgomery's, you know, track record. And Philip Montgomery has spent the last, uh, he spent the last eight seasons as the head coach at Tulsa. He had some really good, in four years, in the eight years he had at Tulsa, he took him to ball games four times, which is not always easy to do at Tulsa. Uh, you know, Tulsa is a, program that uh you know he he went to four bowl games in eight years um you know that they don't make a bowl game every single year uh, i guess is the best way to put it there for 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 the golden hurricane this year just missed out on bowl eligibility uh finished five and seven and tulsa decided to go in a different direction this is a really a really fascinating hire as well because you know, Philip Montgomery, it was interesting when it looked like, you know, like Phil Longo was the name a lot of people talked about early on in relation to this offensive coordinator search. Longo ends up going to Wisconsin. And then it was kind of like trending towards, okay, did is Auburn getting guys at offensive coordinator that are just going to be, you know, maybe younger recruiter types and Hugh Freeze is going to call, you know, run run the show on offense. Montgomery throws a wrench into that because when he was an offensive coordinator, you know, eight, nine years ago, he was one of the best in college football. He's been a head coach. What does that look like? What does that dynamic look like moving forward? I do know his Tulsa offenses were up and down early on. There were some really good numbers. There was a law that kind of got back going there in the last couple of years. Didn't have a great year this year overall, but 
If you look at some of the pass efficiency numbers with his quarterbacks, some solid good to good numbers in the AAC there. It's a philosophy that I think if you go back from his Baylor days and look into the Tulsa days, it's a philosophy that I think meshes very well with what Hugh Freeze usually does on offense. So from a scheme perspective, it makes a lot of sense. I'm going to be interested to see, is this dude going to be the play caller? What does this look, does this look more like? Is, is Auburn trying to look like old Baylor? Or is this going to look like more like old old Miss? Or what, what does it look Or a combination, a fusion? What does that end up looking like? Um, because, you know, Philip Montgomery has coached Coach Robert Griffin the third year they, he won the Heisman. He's also had a lot of guys at Tulsa that were pocket passers. What, you know, what what does that evolution look like? Uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, but, you know, Montgomery, he's been he's been a head coach for the last eight years, and he, he's just – he turns 50 in a couple of weeks, or 51 in a couple of weeks. So, um not necessarily a hire that like either of these um, are hires where you'd say recruiting is the thing, but at court at the coordinator level, it's more of game planning, you know, kind of building that vision out and working its way through. Obviously coordinators definitely play a part in, in the recruiting process. And I think, um, you know, we, we, we saw at times when that didn't work out for Auburn. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, Roberts is the one that makes more sense to me on paper. It's like, okay, it's the scheme, it's the X's and O's. See what he does with SEC talent as the mix. Philip Montgomery is like, okay, what does this look like with him and Hugh Freeze? Uh, because they have not coached together. Um, but they were both guys that I think in the mid-2000s, the mid-2010s were doing some really innovative light them up kind of stuff on offense. And I think the appeal is like, hey, is can Auburn – kind of bring the magic back here um so yeah a, a, a former head coach kind of like kind of like we see it saw with uh, the first round of uh hires from uh brian harson at coordinator uh but these guys no sec experience um not really what you would know what you would have known as recruiters just because they've been at smaller schools and you know outside the sec footprint in their careers uh but i think that's why when you look at especially the defensive side of the ball with Ron Roberts, you have Zach Etheridge and you have, uh, you know, you, you have Christian Robinson, you have Wesley McGriff, you have guys with recruiting chops on that side of the ball where you can kind of really focus on being the X's and O's guy. Offensively, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops because, you know, Auburn still, it seems like if, if Montgomery ends up coaching quarterbacks like he's done, you know, pretty much his whole career, Wide receiver coaches would be the last spot to fill for Auburn. It, it looks like so. It'd be interested to see if they who they go get in that area. If that's if that's where the recruiter move goes, uh, but yeah, kind of a kind of a little curveball here. I think with with Philip Montgomery. Not that he wasn't reported as as a candidate, but like, man, I, I I'm really interested to see how he and Hugh Freeze mesh because these are both former group of five head coaches coming together and having to put together an offense in the toughest you know conference in college football. Uh, it's cliche to say it, but it's still interesting. The guys that will sign up to be a part of Auburn's staff because it is such a hard job. Now, as we said in the buildup to Hugh Freeze being hired and the entire coaching search, there's a lot of good reason to be an Auburn coach, starting with the amount of money that you can make. And also mm-hmm. you can win championships at Auburn, but it's 
a unique spot to step into. Uh, and I would argue probably the hardest spot to step into in all of college football. It, it is. And I think, I mean, you got you to gotta get it going on offense first and foremost if you're Auburn because the last two years you just were so inconsistent and things had tailed off under Gus. And, like, the challenge is great, you know? You play Alabama and Georgia every year. You play some of the best defensive minds and defensive talents in the country, <clears throat> country week in and week out. So if you're if you're Philip Montgomery, if you're Hugh Freeze, you know what what do you do to kind of put this together? What does this look like if they go old Baylor? If that's what the plan is, and that you know, and they, they try to do that stuff at, at Tulsa as well. I mean, watch what Tennessee did this year. Watch what Tennessee did last year. That stuff that Tennessee does is very similar to what Baylor used to run, and so is that is Auburn trying to dial some of that up? Um, if so, it could be really fun if you get the dudes, but you got to get the dudes. And um, as we will talk about later in the podcast, Auburn trying to get their momentum going on the recruiting trail in the transfer portal. And like we said at the like I said at the beginning, when we recorded it earlier on Saturday on Sunday afternoon coordinator hires had not been reported yet that is the case now so if you hear something that sounds a little funny later in the podcast when it comes to football that's why that's why so we got a lot to to get to with this podcast we got basketball uh we're giving away uh the home field gift cards uh we've got you know the recruiting talk in the back end so there's a lot lot to get to i will hopefully uh, over the next few days, try to have some more stuff on these coordinators, X's and O's, kind of the stuff they like to do. Um, hopefully shoot for something in the newsletter format on Tuesday or Wednesday around then. Also got basketball this week. So keep an eye out for that. And, uh, yeah, we will, uh, we will get on with the, with the show and, uh, painter. I'm just glad you have somebody who has Ellis Johnson's hair back in your life. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless in parts unknown. Painter, how are we doing? We're good. We're good. Got the phone situation worked out. The phone phone situation is worked out. Special shout out to all of you who checked in with your messages and your tweets and your concerns about Painter's phone and also uh, the... uh, the amount of weight that uh, that you you said Painter was lifting, I think I think that really helped him out a little bit. People were generous Good for the self esteem. People were generous. Uh, so Painter's phone is back. We're back. Uh, the Buffalo Bills won today. Uh, the Detroit Lions won. Um, they've become my new like favorite team to watch. Just like they're having fun and and it's they're kind of playing with house money. Uh, they used Panay Sewell to catch a pass. They put him in motion and then let him catch a pass to convert a third down to basically seal the game. He's 335 pounds. I tell you, go go find that video of that play. There are tight ends and fullbacks in the NFL who don't run as fast as that guy. I am fully convinced. I am fully convinced. And Panay Sewell's 335. By the way, we'll talk about another very large human being uh, elsewhere in this podcast. But for starters, 
let's get to the main topic, what you're here for, um, more than likely. Auburn basketball uh, falling for the first time this season against the Memphis Tigers uh, in Atlanta. Uh, Tigers dropping a tough 82-73 loss in Atlanta. Um, first time in a couple of years that Auburn has lost to a non-ranked team, non-ranked non-conference team, I should say. Uh, and this was, Peter, we talked about this throughout the buildup to this game about like how similar Memphis and Auburn were defense better than offense, uh, but they got some pieces that can get going. Rebounding is going to be key. Turnovers are going to be key in this game. And Memphis just beat Auburn at its own game here. Um, this Auburn basketball team, this is the worst defensive performance they've had in like almost two years. Uh, you know, at this point in terms of efficiency, um, 82 points to a Memphis team that's not necessarily great on offense. Now, if you watch this game, you can see where Kendrick Davis is very, very good. 27 points, nine boards, six assists. Great game for him, for him. But Auburn could not protect the rim in this game, gave up a ton on the inside, and got shelled on the boards. And look, if that's going to happen, this team's going to have a hard time beating quality opponents. That's just the bottom line. Um, there are concerns about offense that will continue to prevail, and I saw folks really harping on that during the game, and I get it. I understand the offense wasn't great. There were plenty of times where it looked like when they got in the half court, guys weren't running the right sets, or there were, there were just miscommunications, misplays, all that. However... The bigger problem in this game, the biggest problem in this game, was the defense. Auburn scored 73 in this game against a pretty good Memphis defense. Auburn can win with 73 points, as Bruce Pearl said after the game. You want to know how I know that? Because they have that 73 would have been good enough against anybody they played this season. 82, however, on the other side, that's a terrible formula. And you might be like, well, Auburn doesn't have the offense to beat a really good team or, you know, or whatnot. I want to point out, Alabama came back and won, only scoring 71 points on the road against Houston. They just – I think Brandon Miller didn't even hit a shot in that game, like a field goal from, from the field. Like, you can beat elite teams with elite defense and elite rebounding, but you have – like, you have to do that. And in this game, Memphis really, really took it to Auburn in that aspect. And this is – I mean, this was a total breakdown for Auburn. Uh, unless your name was Chris Moore, you probably didn't have a, a fairly good game uh, for Auburn. Uh, Bruce Pearl wore it after the game and said, hey, uh, I'll, I'll read the quote because I think it's important to use his words specifically um, about this game. Bruce Pearl said, uh, I knew the offense would be challenged, but we really, really, really weren't very well prepared. We didn't play with the kind of effort and energy, energy that we've been playing with on the defensive end. I've got to take ownership of that. I'll put the loss on me. I got out coached. Our team got out prepared. They were more ready to play than we were, and that's on me. 100% true, I think, in this in this case. Penny Hardaway and, and, and his staff, including Larry Brown, who just stepped down, had a great game plan to how to, how to really challenge Auburn and, and take some of the sting, or a lot of the sting in this case, out of their defense, while also taking away what, what some of what Auburn's at its best at on offense. But Painter, after the game, Bruce kind of coming out and saying, "Yeah, I, it's on me. You get out coached, 
team wasn't prepared. And I don't know. I know you weren't able to watch watch all of the game, but you, you you were telling me before we started recording, you were listening to it as well. From what you got to see from the game, and I I was there in Atlantic and kind of and, and saw a lot of it as well. It just seemed that like just Auburn didn't really have like Bruce said the effort and the energy that they have to play with against good quality opponents. It's not a team that's going to out talent a lot of good teams. Um, on the whole, they just it was flat. It was uh, it was messy, and you know it starts with coaching and it works its way on down. And I think it's I to me. I know, I th- or to me, it's refreshing when you ever hear a coach say that. And I know for Auburn fans, that's as much as they love Bruce Pearl and, and and think that he hung the moon. And quite frankly, he's done so much for this program that he deserves a lot of benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, I know, I know, fans are at least pleased with with, or at least pleased with hearing a coach say that after such a bad performance. It's also interesting that we spent, or I have spent, a lot of time this season bemoaning the offense and the lack of playmaking ability and the lack of anyone consistently being able to get a bucket when we really need one. It's one loss. I get it. It does feel like right now we have some clear deficiencies on offense, but I don't really think offense is the place to focus on in this game. It's a big, it will continue to, I think, be an issue for Auburn moving forward in matchups. But the reason they lost, like you said a moment ago, isn't like, it's not just because of the offense as, as in some other games that they've actually won, where you look at the offense go, yikes, like, uh, I don't know, man, like the thing that you've been best at kind of let you down. It let you down a ton in this game. And what happened is, here's the thing with Auburn's defense. It's been elite this year. But what the one thing you can watch when you watch this Auburn defense is that they gamble a lot with their pressure. Um, they overplay passing lanes. Um, you know, they get really, really uptight in man defense because they have the security usually. They had it last year with Walker Kessler. They've had it this year with Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell in. Oh, well, the rim protection will help. The rim protection will come over, step over, and you'll be fine. A team like Memphis does not shoot the ball well from three and doesn't really take a ton of threes. Um, So Auburn was just going to stay at home and try to to play it that way. Penny Hardaway and his staff had an excellent game plan. Take Auburn's big men away from the basket. They're going to play a man, take him away from the basket, spread the floor. Memphis' front court was not as big as Auburn's uh, in this game. And so they isolated and got one-on-one th- one-on-one opportunities and a combination of poor perimeter defense where guys were just getting driven by off the dribble. That was that that happened plenty of times. Ball screen defense breakdowns over and over again. But then also back cuts. Man, it felt like Memphis had about 20 baskets straight off of back cuts in this game. Because they used in Penny Hardaway's words after the game, they used Auburn's aggressiveness against them. That was with the whole plan. And they tweaked and they did stuff that they hadn't shown on film this year to beat a good Auburn team uh, in this in this way. And so when it comes back to coaching, it comes back to, you know, as Bruce as Bruce Pearl said, he takes it on himself. One of the big things in this game is Auburn never adjusted on defense. There was a stretch where they seemed to settle down, but then when Memphis counterpunched again, they just couldn't keep up. Um, and so Auburn – you know the the results from the first few games for those wins they had to start the season were good, right? You'll take that defensive those defensive numbers because they worked. 
it does show you where it can be exploited and where it can give you problems, especially when you have a team like Memphis that is uber confident in their ball handlers, putting the ball on the floor and getting to the basket because they play college basketball for four, five, and six years. Kendrick Davis has played a lot of college basketball. Alex Lomax has played a lot of college basketball. And they controlled this game because they had the confidence to, like, hey, we can win our one-on-one matchups. We feel confident in this. Whereas Auburn, I mean, they isolated Auburn and really, really took advantage there. And Auburn's backcourt just was not good enough in defense. defense. Um, You know, your rim protection, when it was there, didn't do enough. Um, Memphis, Memphis got so many points in the paint in this game. Uh, it was 50 points in the paint for Memphis. They had, uh, they had seven, they went 17 of 27 on layups and five of six on dunks. That is 22 of 33. That is an even 67%. Two thirds of their shots in the paint were in. And like that, that is, that, that is usually a bad sign for a team playing against Auburn is like, Oh, you're having to take all your shots like right around the rim. Well, you're running right into the teeth of the best shot blocking unit in the country and one of the best two point defenses in the country. Not when these guys were playing one on one. And so this this was a this this was a coaching um, win first and foremost for Memphis. But I mean, it also I think can be an archetype moving forward that if you have experienced backcourt players and you feel confident about about driving downhill. I mean, Memphis scored 82 points and hit four threes in this game. That ought to tell you just how rough it was for Auburn on the interior of their defense. Part of me has kind of been like a, well, I don't know. Like This team is what it is. And then I think I'm getting into like a little bit of a danger zone because teams do improve and and change. And the team still has a good record. Like this is a team that like right now as I survey the SEC – I feel like we are a tier under Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas and Alabama. Yeah. However, like there's time for that to change. I'm just not confident right now that it will. Yeah. I think that's completely fair. I I would point this out. There's a lot of overreaction um, from fans after your first loss and Auburn hasn't lost very many of these games in the last few years. So it's natural to feel that way. And then when you start pulling up, like, well, you know, the last time Auburn really looked like this in non-conference play was the year that went so poorly for them um, in the COVID year. Like, that that doesn't, you know, help matters out at all. I will say this, though. Memphis is a top 30, top 40 team in college basketball pretty much across the board. Um, I think hey, Auburn just dropped two spots in Kempom with this loss. They're going to be a top 20 team. This is still a top 20 team. Top 20 teams sometimes have bad nights and and have bad games like this and bad performances. Um, you know, watch watch the NBA from time to time and just see, like, you know, team, good teams lay eggs, and especially in the NBA where you play so many games. In college basketball, you have the inconsistency of the fact that these are 18, 19, 20, to all the way up to 23 and 24-year-olds playing the game. And, you know, it's just there's so many – there's so – much variety out there and you know not making excuses for Auburn why they lost the game they lost because they played poorly and they played poorly against the best team they played all year the interesting thing is the other two good opponents they've played this season like quality you know teams that they've they faced this season Northwestern and St. Louis they won that game with defense and rebounding down the stretch 
This is a game where they did not do that whatsoever. And I think the alarming thing from Auburn in this game that they got to step up for them is that Memphis was not as big as Auburn. They were quicker than Auburn, and they and they and they used that to their advantage. They weren't bigger, and they shouldn't have been as tougher as physical. But you look at the rebounding numbers. You look at the fifty-fifty balls. This was, yeah, this was a pretty bad performance for Auburn in that regard, and. That is where it comes down to the effort and the energy and the hustle. Like you have to be stronger than that. You have to be tougher than that. This is a wake up call. This is a punch in the face. This is, I mean, practices this week for Bruce Pearl and that staff are going to be very demanding because they're going to get challenged and they should get challenged off of this. Memphis is a really good team and a very experienced team. There's no shame in losing to Memphis. However, there is some shame and there is some like, hey, you need to get better at this when you lose the way they did. If Memphis didn't turn the ball over 7 million times in the first half, it could have been a lot uglier. Keep in mind, most of those turnovers from Memphis were not Auburn steals. There were offensive fouls, there were passes out of bounds, there were travels, there was stuff like that. Like that, that's That's not a good sign. And we have seen Auburn in the past bounce back from games like this I, I keep it I, I think back to um I think the, the team that this still this team reminds me the most of still is that night 2019 2020 team and the makeup and the way that this team is kind of more defense first it's it's, it's veterans you don't really have a ton of go-to guys on offense you're at the grind it out you don't you know you're inconsistent from three but things can happen when they when they get rolling good offensive rebounding team get to the basket type when they're at their best on offense um I mean I think about like that team getting the doors blown off of them at Florida that year where they only scored 47 uh you know I think about some of the some of the tough losses they had away from uh from home and I I feel like this one could kind of be like that because you lost by nine you know It, it never was really close after that second surge that second wave from Memphis um, Auburn did put up a fight down the stretch, but you know that's that's what this team does. Uh, it was such a bad defensive game, and you only lose by nine. Like I think there's a little bit that you can take from that and say, okay, this isn't the end of the world because if you look from just a pure number standpoint, you might not play a team like this until you play Arkansas at home depending on how you feel about Florida and USC and, and maybe Washington. Uh Florida Florida's got some decent wins. Well, they well, they've lost every quality opponent they play. I'll take that back. And UConn looks like the best team in America right now. Um so it's like you will play away from home against USC and Washington. You come back to play Florida. Like you might not play a team as good as Memphis until you play Arkansas. And that's almost a month from now. So what do you do in this next month to get back to that level that you need to be? They're going to have to counter. Like Auburn is going to have to go to the tape and learn like, okay, if a team tries to spread us out and, and, and do this and this and this with our rim protection, how are we going to, how are we going to do a better job of that? How are we going to, how are we going to get better? Because I think this team, this is a better defensive team than what they showed on Saturday. But, Everybody who plays Auburn for the next few weeks is going to look at what Memphis did and say, okay, can we do some of that? And I don't think all these teams that are about to play are as equipped to take advantage of that as Memphis is. However, 
they're sure as heck going to try. And so what does Auburn do to counter? What do they do to adapt? So one thing about Bruce Pearl teams and, and him as a coach, they adapt and they change pretty well. But if it becomes a trend, then you start thinking, ooh, this could be a this could be a, a, a season where you fall below what your expectations were at the start of the year. And you know, that's that that's the real that's the real question is that is the Auburn team that closed so well against Northwestern and St. Louis is that the defense and rebounding we can expect more often against from Auburn against good teams? Or is what happened against Memphis that? And I think especially in terms of rebounding and effort, I think the Northwestern and St. Louis games are more indicative of what this team is and like their their potential is. I think the Memphis game was a combination of getting out coached and getting out worked and watching it all play out right in front of you. I'm curious to see what they think that they can change because I don't expect like the rotations to change much. Like they're clearly they've talked all off season about how much they value their depth. And I'm not super worried about effort, you know, like Bruce pointing out that the effort wasn't there against Memphis. I don't think that will be a trend, but offensively, one thing that's somewhat out of their control is like finding a reliable playmaker. Um, Maybe you would say outside of Wendell and, and then, you know, again, like they're just, they're going to struggle to hit shots some games. So like what things can they realistically change with some of their deficiencies? Cause I, again, I don't think they're going to go away from this depth, heavy rotation no. strategy. They're they using. Shouldn't. They shouldn't because, you know, that's going to be what, uh, uh, what makes them their best. Like when you can't out talent teams, like there is no Jabari Smith out there when you can't out talent guys, like lean on your depth. That's another area where this game just didn't. Auburn's bench did not really contribute much in this game outside of KD, who had an inefficient shooting night but scored a decent bit. So he was giving you something out there. I mean, real bad scoreless performances for Chance Westry and Yoan Treor. I mean, Chance, his first run at point guard, Memphis took control of the game after that. The second run, they kind of further got the grip on it. Yoan missed a three-point attempt and had a rebound. Other than that, he didn't really do much in about in 11 or 12 minutes. Um, their inexperience showed. And, like, the, each of those guys have their individual reasons for getting off the slow starts. Chance Westry had knee surgery two months ago. Yoan Treor, as talented and athletic and as, as, as incredible as his, as his ceiling is, is still relatively new to basketball. Like, there were guys that were playing for Memphis on Saturday that have been playing college basketball as long as Joan Traore has been playing basketball. Period. You know that you got to keep that in mind sometimes with with it as well. Um, and so, like 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 Bruce Pearl said after the game, like you don't want to make excuses for them, and they need to step up. And if Auburn's going to reach their potential as a team. They can't just like they got to have something behind Wendell Green Jr. It, it can't just be the offense only looks like it can have much of an impact in the game if he's on the floor, right? And Chance Westry is it's off. His shots off. His running running plays. It's, just, it's not working right now for him. Doesn't mean he's write him off. Doesn't mean give up on him. 
but how do you manage that and still give yourself a chance to win games moving forward is going to be the big question. Um, Bruce Pearl on Thursday explained why he's playing him at the one instead of the two or the three. And Trey Donaldson's been a DNP in two of the last three games and hasn't been in the main rotation in each of the last three games. Does that continue? I, I, I don't know. I don't know because, um, you know, Pearl has Pearl has his reasoning, and I think at the wing, I think Allen and Chris, I mean, those are two guys that you, you want to give a lot of minutes to. Chris for the way he's been efficient and Al for being, you know, probably the best physical weapon you've got out there, and then you get in the two. It's, it just starts shaking some things up, and I don't think you want to have a thing where you just pull – your guys and, and Albert's done some of that double wing stuff where where they haven't had to rely on Trey or as much coming off the bench either. But like you don't want to give those guys no playing time, or you don't want to take them out of the rotation because you don't want to shatter their confidence in this point, right? And we'll see. Like Trey Donaldson, Trey's a different case because he was a different type of recruit coming in. Okay, well, keep in mind the original plan was for him to play both sports. Um, but yeah, it's just that's tough. That is a that is a tough thing that they've got to figure out, and I don't think there's an easy answer if you're Auburn. I don't think you can just snap your fingers and say, "Well, it's it's clearly they have to play chance here," or it's clearly like they're gonna have to work some of that out. Um, they just gotta. I mean, this team is gonna be at its best when they can go ten or eleven deep, and they can play all out all forty minutes. And everybody scores, and everybody defends, and everybody rebounds, and everybody contributes, and they and they play with as few holes or as drop offs as possible in order to take on some of these teams that they're going to play that might be more talented than them on paper, but might not have as much depth as they do. That's that's the formula. That's how this team's going to play. It's how the twenty nineteen twenty twenty team. Yes, they had Isaac Okoro, um, but that's how that nineteen twenty team got to be the second best team in the SEC by year's end. That's how they did it. That's how that's how they ended up winning. And then also being lights out at home, which, you know, Auburn can still be that. They've got to do that. And when they don't, when part of that formula doesn't work, whether it's defense or rebounding, you know, as as a unit, you have games like you have Saturday against Memphis, where Memphis, you know, with their experience and with their confidence, uh, just said, you know what? We'll, we'll just beat you at your own game. And it worked. And I, I don't expect teams to keep doing that to Auburn, but there's going to be some teams coming up that have experienced guys. They play – Auburn plays USC uh, a week from today in Los Angeles. Boogie Ellis has played a lot of college basketball. Drew Peterson has played a lot of college basketball. And so what what will Auburn do to counter? What will they do to adapt? What will they do to shift to that? Uh, because you're right, Painter. Like, this team is offensively – there are deficiencies with this team's offense. There is no Jabari Smith on this team. There isn't really even a Samir Dowdy on this team where you feel like can go get your own shot on a regular basis. I think if Katie Johnson was a little taller, you may have you have something different. Or Wendell Green was a little taller, you'd have, you'd have something different. You are what you are. The roster is the roster. What do you do? It's still a good one. <laughs> like, that's the other thing. It's still, this is still a top-20 team. Pretty much across the board in a lot of areas. Now, if they play like they did on Saturday consistently, no, they won't be a top 20 team. But it's just one game. It's just one game. And they've got to learn from that one game pretty quickly. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, this team has the has the has the depth and the formula and the coaching staff, I think, to still be a really good basketball team with their offensive problems. And again, seventy one should still be, or yeah, seventy three. Sorry, should still be fine. A lot of nights with Auburn's defense, they just it shows you what what the margins are when you don't have a guy who can bail you out on offense like you did last year. I'm trying to find the balance to strike of how critical to be of like a team that has a lot of experience because you referenced that team that finished second in the league that had Isaac Okoro but had a lot of experienced players, players who, by the way, were coming off a great tournament run, probably didn't hurt their confidence. Um, It's, you know, I mean, they only have one loss, and you just said this a second ago. This is a solidly top 20 team, both in Ken Palm and for whatever you think it's worth, the rankings, which opinions may vary there. But nonetheless, still a pretty highly ranked team with just one loss. And I'm like, all right, when are we going to get that surge out of Allen? And we heard so much about what they expected from Jalen. And Wendell's in his third year of basketball, and he's a good player. We know this. And Janai Broom's in his third year, albeit with a different team now. Auburn has some really experienced pieces. And and so even with the deficiencies that they have that may not go away this season, there's a bit of a standard that I have that's different for this team than the one that we had last year, which was more talented. No, absolutely. This is a team. They're getting graded on a curve is what I'm saying, because I think that this team, even with less talent, it's like, what have we, what did I spend all off season talking about last year? We didn't have much experience going into a single elimination tournament and it hurt us. Well, now we have it and we still don't look very polished. Right. Yeah. It's because I think the best teams have the sweet spot, right? You know, you think about that final four team that had, at least in terms of shot making, had that had that great talent that they had and experience together, you know, uh, and it's and it's funny because it's like, would you rather have talent or experience? Well, you'd rather have talent, and it's not like this team's talent deficient. They just might be a year away from like maximizing what they what they can be because you see you look at Yoan Traor and you look at Chance Westry and you see uh, next year maybe next year might be that might be the case for them. And I'm not saying give up on this year because I still think this team has – what we said coming into this season is the is is where the range of where Auburn – you think Auburn could be. And I still I still believe this even after a loss to Memphis away from home that you can learn from. This is still a team that can get a double bye in the SEC tournament, be top four. And if you're top four in the SEC, probably be a, a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. You'll be a one or two or three or four. I, I still think that that's, that's the thing with this team. But – they are they they are replacing a generational talent on offense and they are replacing a very key weapon for them on defense and I, look rim protection for auburn has been good without walker kessler it's not just on walker kessler it's the team defense around it it's got to get better it's got to it's got to step up um so yeah it's a long winded way of saying like don't give up on this year it's just one loss if and like i said if auburn plays like this consistently it could be a tougher year, and you 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 start thinking about this team as more of a team that will have to fight to you know get a lot in the SEC and and, and make the postseason like that. If they played like that consistently, and if they, I, I don't think they're going to do that though. 
I think the team you saw against Northwestern and the team you saw against St. Louis and some of the really good moments against some of the smaller teams they've played this year, like that, that's more indicative of the team than a bad 30, about a 40 minutes in Atlanta against Memphis. And Memphis, Memphis did a really good job. And, and I think, you know, this Memphis team is not super, super efficient offense. I mean, dear gracious, they, they turned the ball over a ton in this game. But the one thing that stood out to me and I wrote in the observations is like they got on runs and Auburn, whenever Auburn got on their own runs, it never seemed to be sustained or it was really relying on free throws. Hey, Auburn shot pretty well from the free throw line in this game. So, you know, you get that one thing fixed, but everything else kind of goes backwards. Now it's just consistent shot making and consistent half court or like take advantage of the turnovers, take advantage of the fast break opportunities more often. I mean, Auburn smoked some layups that they shouldn't, shouldn't have. And yeah, it just felt like every time they got the momentum and they got the energy back, Memphis had an answer and Auburn was never really that like Memphis was always kind of a step ahead. They had it, they had it, they had it kind of sorted out ahead of time. You know, Chris Moore hits that layup. Maybe things feel different. Maybe there maybe there's a kind of a pushback cuz that crowd was so good and so loud uh for Auburn. Instead it's missed. Bruce Pearl thinks it's a, it thinks it was a foul. Gets a technical foul for it. And Memphis pretty much seals the game from there. Um so, I mean, it's just every time Auburn kind of got within striking distance, Memphis had something because they were getting so many good and clean looks, easy looks. And Auburn got frustrated on offense, and they'd either turn it over or take a bad shot and didn't rebound well or didn't didn't get out in transit. It was just it was a bad breakdown. And I guess that's the thing is, like, you could look at how bad it was on defense and how bad it was in rebounding and say, well, you still lost by nine to a team that's probably going to make the NCAA tournament. Not terrible, not not the worst thing in the world world to be in. They got to learn from it though, and they got to fix it. And so that's what makes this next week very interesting because they play Georgia State, and Georgia State uh, is not very good. Um, they haven't really played anybody this year of note, and they haven't won against anybody of note, uh, and they really struggle on offense. So you can get, you can clean some things up Wednesday night at home, and then you go to USC and you go to Washington, and you'll you will be projected probably to win both of those games. Neither of those teams are like world beaters out of the Pac-12 this year, um, but they'll be tests. They'll be tests, and you know USC can't USC went to the tournament last year, uh, and Auburn almost played them. You know if if that shot would have went down against Miami in the first round in Greenville, um, so it's like how do you adjust? How do you adapt? And, uh, you know, it's frustrating. And I know a lot of, a lot of fans, uh, kind of default to, to fearing the worst, uh, cause you're an Auburn fan and that's kind of your base mode of operation most of the time. And I get it. I understand it. You know, I'm, I am, I, w- I once was one of you. I am in a family of you, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think there's a lot of stuff that they can fix. Um, you just may never see this team look uber impressive against a against a quality opponent like Memphis was. Anyway, before we move on to other business, um, let's talk about Peyton Marshall real quick because we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. 
Uh, Painter, how are your how are your feelings about Auburn in a couple of years getting a center that is currently listed at seven one three fifteen in a lot of places? At least the it, it don't, no matter what we'll talk about this a little bit later when it comes to football, but like no matter what recruiting service you use, it's somewhere between six eleven and seven one, and it's at least three hundred pounds for Peyton Marshall, which would make him. The biggest player Auburn's ever had. Dude looks like a force. I'll be curious to see what they what they expect him, the weight they expect him to play at when he gets here. Because right now, I mean, he's just bullying people. He is, I, I, you know, and he's bullying. Obviously, got loads of potential. So I'm curious to know, like, how they've sold him, what the vision is on getting him to Auburn. And I would imagine, you know, just like you would with any prospect, cleaning up elements of their game, probably changing his body type to some extent. He's always going to be a part of the big boy community, I'd imagine. Uh, But I I am curious to know, like, what is it that they see him becoming in the next couple of years? I heard, um, I had heard that he's down to 310. Like, he used to be even bigger. And so, like, you you can still see where you can slam him down. Somebody on Twitter uh, pointed out, and I'm sorry, it was in my replies, but um, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. They were pointing out like a guy like Kofi Coburn uh, from Illinois. Like that is the type of like, you can play bully ball at a big size, but still be athletic enough and versatile enough to run the floor. You know, you know, be a guy that you can play heavy minutes uh, with. And so, yeah, I mean, the potential is there. And if you watch him on film, if you watch him on film, like, He's got some really good footwork. Like he he moves he moves the feet pretty well and he's pretty light on them for a guy his size. And which when you're that size, you don't necessarily have to be a leaper or anything like that. But he's got he's got good footwork. He passes the ball particularly well uh, for a big man, which I think I'll also say as I wrote earlier this week and pointed out yesterday, Dylan Carwell's gotten a lot better at that. Um, it's a really good part of his game when Auburn's clicking on offense. So. Peyton Marshall, um, yeah, there'll be Shaq comparisons because of the size, um, you know. But he has got a uh, he, he's got a really good frame, and I mean, already a, a solidly four star prospect across the board. And he'll be he'll be fun and different, and another Atlanta kid that Auburn is Auburn is going on. Now. He's twenty twenty four. So wrote on Saturday twenty twenty three. You might not get any more if you're Auburn other than Aiden Holloway. Kind of seems like Auburn might go more on to filling it out in the transfer portal next year, depending on what the roster looks like. Aiden Holloway, by the way, not huge guy, not a huge guy, but he's that kind of offensive shot shot in the arm that Auburn could use uh, in the near future at the guard spot. Uh, Zep Jasper is the only one you know is not coming back next year, so you got to replace that. But at twenty twenty four class, looks like it could be potentially incredible for Auburn. Uh, he. Peyton Marshall visited with Ace Bailey, who's from McEachern, the same school that produced Isaac Okoro and Sharif Cooper and Stretch Akinbola and Dylan Carwell. Um, he is he's a great, versatile, face-up big man. Not like as polished as Jabari, but like that type of player uh, in terms of being able to uh, scoring three or four. Uh, works for him, ta- uh, you know, pretty tall guy. And then they also got a visit from Flory Badunga, who's a top five prospect in the country, 
and is a I think he's six nine, six ten, athletic. Um, and I mean th- that could be like a nasty front court in the future if Auburn wanted to play it. So might be a while before you reap the rewards of this, but Auburn in a pretty good spot with their twenty twenty four class uh, getting underway with uh, with with Peyton Marshall, and I, I think you know Auburn fans are going to be able to latch on to somebody that big uh, playing bully ball. I think that's going to be so. I think it's going to be fun whenever whenever it comes around. Auburn fans are going to really enjoy seeing him play. Keep it coming. Right. I want to see the best class Bruce has had yet, baby. Come on. That twenty four. That twenty four class talent. has got potential. It's it's definitely got that potential. There's some guards also. They're still hot after in that class. That you need to keep an eye on as well. All right. Um, we'll talk some more recruiting here shortly uh, on the football side. Uh, before we do that, we got some business to take care of. First off, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us uh, here at the Auburn Observer. We are independent, and we rely, all of this relies on your subscription. So if you want more of this podcast, you get twice as much of this main show with Painter and myself uh, each week. You can go to auburnobserver.com. It's $6 a month or $60 a year to subscribe. You also get all of my newsletters. Uh, we've got breakdowns like film rooms, mailbags, um, a lot of analysis of Auburn football and men's basketball, uh, deep dives, post games uh, with, with our observations from from basketball. And uh, keep uh, you get the scholarship tracker, the roster tracker for, for Auburn football. You can get all that with an Observer subscription just for a few bucks a month. Go to auburnobserver.com and sign up there, or you can click the link in the description, or you can click the button in the email. There's a lot of different ways to get to it. I want to also remind all of you who are Observer subscribers, because a few of you took advantage of this this week, and we thank you for that. If you give a gift subscription anytime between now and Christmas, so you got a couple weeks here, um, send me an email. Uh, you can find my email on my, on my Twitter handle, or you can just reply to any email you get from us. And... Um, with uh, proof of your gift subscription purchase, uh, no matter when it goes active or anything like that, and uh, we will add uh, free months to your a free month or months, depending on how many you buy, to your own subscription. Uh, so just in the giving season, few of you are already taking advantage of that, which is awesome. If you want to give the, an Observer subscription, it's great for an Auburn fan that you might not know what to buy for. And all you need is their email address. And all you have to do is just plug it in, buy, and then it will go active whenever you want it to as well. So if you want to wait till Christmas morning or a Christmas party or a certain spot, you can literally time it up to say, hey, this is when the email will be sent and uh, when the subscription will go live. And like I said, if you're an Observer subscriber, you can get free time, free months added to your own account for giving the gift at this time of the year. Also... Shout out to our friends at Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, the number one place to buy collegiate vintage apparel. We're talking the softest t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, joggers, money can buy. They're in their 12 days of giving right now. They've had mystery boxes. They've, uh, they had like a, they had a, uh, a day where they had staff picks that were on sale and an Auburn sweatshirt was part of that. A lot of really, really cool stuff at Homefield. I'm currently wearing a Homefield shirt right now. Like I do most of most of my days of the week you can go to homefieldapparel.com and uh, take advantage there you know whenever you listen to this they'll be doing some sale of some kind that you can take advantage of right now also 
we talk about home field apparel because we got a giveaway to do right here. Painter, first off, let the people know how they can help us out uh, by paying absolutely no more money, just taking a few seconds of their time. Like some of the excellent guys and gals who followed instructions, you can rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave five stars. One or two lines will do. You can go farther. Some people like to get creative, but if you just want to be quick with it, we get it. One line will do. Uh, yeah, and then mash that subscribe, follow button, whatever we're calling it these days. This past week, we did a thing where we asked for you guys to step it up and give us some five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we would give away two Home Field Apparel gift cards, uh, $50 one, uh, to each of our two winners that we're going to hand out right now. We said we'd pick a random one, and we would pick our favorite one. Painter, let the folks know who won our favorite, uh, because this one was this one was something I did not expect to see pop up in the, in the review feed. This was from Very Nice. Very Nice says... Well... That was the title of the review. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Then what is this person's name? This handle looks like it is SSC Northcourt. Are you saying that? Yes. Let's just cut to the chase here. This person this person copied and pasted the opening scene of the B-movie, like the, the script, and uh, dropped it in as a review. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why that uh, that happened, but... It made me laugh pretty hard when I first saw it, and I know Painter uh, had a very similar reaction. Very creative in the fact that it was nonsensical, which if you listen to a lot of our podcasts, uh, we're kind of into that kind of thing. So if you are the owner of the SSC North Court account, congratulations. $50 from Home Field Apparel will be heading your way, $50 gift card. All you got to do is email me at... T-H-E, the number one, A-N-D-O-N-L-Y-J-F at gmail.com. That is the one and only J-F uh, at gmail.com. Or just reply to a uh, newsletter or a podcast email, and we'll get it that way as well. So if you are that person and your B-movie fandom has won you $50 of uh, of home field, field apparel. Now we're going to do another random drawing for our other review winner. Okay. And we had more than 30 of y'all do reviews this past week, which is awesome. Uh, Thank you very, very much for that. So what I've done is I've taken all the reviews, and I've put them in a sheet, and I've put them in a random order. And Painter, what I'm going to ask you to do is give me a random number off the top of your head. Let's say a random single-digit number. And then I'm going to hit a random number generator that many times, and whatever it spits out is the winner. So we're going to randomize the randomize the randomize. We're going to make it as random as humanly possible for this. So number between one through nine, Painter, hit me with it. Nothing better than lucky number seven. Let's do it. One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. All right. That means our winner of... The second $50 Home Field Apparel gift card goes to Daniel T. Bulger. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. On Apple Podcast, Daniel, your review said as follows. 
<laughs> when we said we would pick, we said we would pick a random uh, podcast review for those of you who didn't want to get creative or step step up to something crazy uh, with their with their written review. That uh, you would have a chance to win just as well. Uh, we tell you sometimes you have to keep it short and sweet if you have to. Daniel's review is this. Great podcast, best Auburn podcast out there. One of the shortest reviews we we got, and uh, it's a winner. It's a winner, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to uh, give Daniel the other $50 home field apparel gift card. So email me, Daniel. Email me, SSC Northcourt, and we will get you that gift card. And Try to do it as quickly as you can um, so you can get those orders in if you want them in for, before Christmas. Get that $50 of the home field apparel. Buy yourself an Observer t-shirt, the rest of y'all, or the people we just gave gift cards to if you want to do that. Uh, but Observer t-shirts, I forgot to mention as well, are at homefieldapparel.com. Appreciate Connor and Whitney and the gang for supporting us, and we appreciate y'all, all of y'all, for your very kind and thoughtful and funny reviews. Only two winners this time around, but I think this is such a successful endeavor that we will be going back to it sometime. In, in mid-June. Don't worry. When Mid-June. Christmas is officially sure. around the corner. There we go. We're putting it down. We'll, we'll do the mid-June giveaway. So get ready for that. All right, uh, Painter, uh, before we go, we need to talk some football because Auburn had a pretty big recruiting weekend. Now, last week's podcast, uh, a lot of you really enjoyed it with our buddy Christian Clemente of Auburn Undercover, uh, one of the goats of Auburn football recruiting coverage for sure. And uh, he talked about you know how Auburn felt like they got some momentum going, even with this staff starting to kind of build and, and, and grow. Um, still don't know coordinators yet. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Auburn had a pretty big recruiting weekend with official visitors, unofficial visitors. And on Sunday, uh, picked up two guys that I, we'll call both of them flips. One of them decommitted right before he before he committed to Auburn. We're both going to call them flips, though. Uh, Auburn picking up uh, a commitment from Colton Hood, uh, who is a cornerback from Eagles Landing Christian Academy in McDonough, Georgia. If I remember correctly, that's where uh, former Auburn defensive lineman Andrew Williams played. Uh, and, uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, a offensive tackle, put in the alarm bells here An offensive tackle from, uh, man, I always pronounce this incorrectly. Uh, oh, Nat- Natchitoches, Natchitoches, Louisiana. I always, they, cause there's one in Texas and there's one in Louisiana. They're basically the same, but they're pronounced two totally different ways. Anyway. Big man Tyler Johnson from Louisiana. He's uh, he flips from Texas Tech. Uh, Colton Hood flipping from Mississippi, uh, Michigan State, not Mississippi State. Sorry, Auburn picking up two of those commitments on Sunday. Uh, I believe, depending on what uh, outlet you look at, they're out of the basement in the SEC uh, for the 2023 recruiting rankings. But obviously, have a lot of room to grow in this class. Colton Hood, uh, by the way, uh, Colton Hood is a legacy. Uh, not only is he uh, a, 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 a Georgia native, uh, but he is a he is a legacy. His dad and his uncle, and his brother and his cousin all played at Auburn. Uh, this is from uh, this is from Christian's story on two four seven. Said Hood's uncle is Roderick Hood, who played eight years in the NFL after a productive Auburn career. Freak athlete uh, during his time on the plains. Uh, and then went undrafted, but then ended up playing several years in the NFL off of that. His dad is Benji Hood, brother Ben Hood, and cousin Dantuan Hood all played at Auburn. Now Colton 
is going to join the fray. Uh, the thing about Colton Hood and Tyler Johnson, composite, both of those guys are listed as three stars. However, I believe, and I can't remember which of the order is correct here, um, each of those has a four-star rating from at least one of the major outlets as well. So we're talking about borderline guys here, potential blue chips. You know, not just getting a – and, again, you can get really good players after lower, uh, off of lower-rated recruits. Hello, Roger McCreary. But, you know, it, there are some in the, in the recruiting landscape that think highly of Colton Hood and Tyler Johnson to give them four stars. But uh, composite-wise, both these guys are threes. Big-time cornerback pickup for Auburn. This is a uh, – I think I'm going to ha- have a newsletter about this sometime soon. But it appears that, you know, a- as it's going on, it appears that uh, Zach Etheridge will stay on a- at Auburn. He's been recruiting for the Tigers uh, over these last couple weeks uh, and has been so fundamental and, like, he's just been a cornerstone in recruiting, not just guys on his in his position group, but elsewhere – in this 2023 class, Terrence Love, J.C. Hart, Colton Hill are all now um, commitments from that cornerback class, that DB, that DB room. And the defensive back room probably will lose Nehemiah Pritchett. You may lose D.J. James, who has got a senior bowl invite, and some people are talking like he might jump to the NFL after his phenomenal season uh, at corner. But you bring up pretty much everybody else back, or at least are projected to, but you can always take as many DBs as, as you can. We talked about Painter how much of a slam dunk, easy, don't blow the layup kind of uh, play it was for Hugh Freeze to retain Cadillac Williams. I'm beginning to think, or at least I'm I'm there at this point. That kind of reaction should also be applied to to keeping Zach Etheridge on board because it has it has paid off some in recruiting here. He's been big this whole cycle. And in that vein, two things. Uh, One, whatever my reservations about Hugh Freeze's hiring, one of the things I expected from him was good recruiting. He and his Mm -hmm. staff will be able to stand on that. I have no doubt. Two, compared to Brian Harson and some of his staff, this is going to feel very, very different. Absolutely. When you think about guys like Zach Etheridge and Cadillac Williams staying on board, and then you have somebody like, the crime dog, Wesley McGriff, coming back on, on staff. Some of these guys uh, that have been brought over from Liberty, some of these guys from Hugh Freeze's past at Ole Miss, just kind of that track record of uh, just very personable recruiters and, and guys that connect well with players, connect well with families. And, Peter, go back to what Christian said last week and why I'm interested when it comes to the coordinator moves for Auburn. Like he was talking about how he made it, he made the point about like the position coaches a lot of them really did their job under Brian Harson but it felt like from the from the head coach and the coordinators Auburn never really had that unified kind of buy in or you know kind of approach to recruiting and it stood out on the trail. Um, I, I I really think that no matter who Auburn's next coordinators are, I think you're going to get a lot more of that it's going to be a lot more top down and. You know, Hugh Freeze knows exactly what this roster is, and he knows what he's going up against. And here's the thing for Auburn right now, this football team. Via the transfer portal and via the world of NIL, which Auburn has tried to stockpile up resources in the latter over the last year in that, I mean, you can turn, you can flip this roster around a lot quicker than you used to be able to. 
and it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take some. It's going to take some really good wins, and especially I think in the transfer portal for twenty twenty three. But I mean, you look at the list of guys that Auburn has a shot at right now in recruiting in this twenty twenty three class after a second straight losing year and a new coaching staff. Like they are still going to be in the hunt for Quay Rousseau and, and James Smith, the five stars from from Carver Montgomery. They're going to be in the uh, they're in the mix to flip Tony Mitchell from Alabama, or uh, uh, Kay and Lee from um, from Ohio State, or any of those guys from from um, from Langston Hughes that are committed to places like Ohio State and Georgia right now. You know, don't think Auburn's going to come out and just say, "Whoa, wow, this is a top five class or top ten class," but like they could make a lot of movement here down the stretch in the early signing period and then roll into February where they need to get, you know, they can get this roster flipped around. What we'll see is how they work the transfer portal, who they're able to pick up. They've got some offers out to some guys, a couple guys from Mississippi State, a couple guys from elsewhere. We'll see how that continues to develop here early on in the process. We had that big wave of everybody being in the portal. Now you're starting to see some guys start making decisions. See how Auburn can catch up with that. Want to mention also Tyler Johnson, large human being, six six three hundred listed, uh, and, and Auburn's offensive tackles. It's like they need offensive tackles with experience. They need offensive tackles who can play right away in twenty twenty three. That's big. You have to have, but you're also going to need offensive tackles. Period. Moving forward, and Johnson looks like a guy that, and just with his size, uh, in a few years' time, you could probably see him, maybe push for a for a. Um, for a job on Auburn's offensive line. It's going to be kind of a development thing for him, it looks like. Uh, but he's athletic at, at his at his big size. A couple of Big 12 teams were really, really hard after him. Uh, and Auburn, I mean, they just, need, they just need offensive linemen. They need offensive linemen. And so for a guy like Tyler Johnson, you know, it strikes me as could be very similar to like, uh, like Jeremiah Wright or some other guys Auburn's had in the past where it's like it may take them a few years. May take him a couple of years to kind of get going uh, as an SEC prospect, but if it does, you can't teach being that big, and you can't you can't uh, you can't necessarily just wave a magic wand and get those guys to be six six three hundred. So, really big pickup there. Also wanted to point out Colton Hood, even if he's a three star by most places, listen to who he, who he had offers from. He obviously was committed to Michigan State, but he had offers from Clemson, Florida, let's see LSU. North Carolina, Ole Miss, South Carolina. I mean, they, he had a pretty impressive uh, offer sheet for somebody who, you know, isn't thought of as an Under Armour All-American or something like that. So uh, Auburn will feel like they've got something here with 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 uh, both Colton Hood and Tyler Johnson. And those are big pickups that Auburn absolutely needed uh, with their recruiting. And, you know, you got – See about a week and some change until early signing period. Uh, you've got the February period is going to be important because I think some of Auburn's big name targets might not be making moves until then. You got the portal. This roster's starting to shape up to be in, in a better spot than what you know Hugh Freeze and his staff inherited, which is like you said, Painter, not surprising. You have no doubt about that. Uh, but uh, you know, like you, I, I think you made a good point there. Also, is like it's just going to feel a lot more different than it did with, with, with Brian Harson, And uh, I think that's a big reason why Auburn's administration 
decided to go with Hugh Freeze is that they knew that this area of being a recruiter down here was going to pay off probably quicker than than it would for, for other guys. So we shall see. Don't really know who the coordinators are going to be for Auburn. And I don't maybe I'm maybe I'm naive and I and I and I often am when it comes to coaching carousel stuff, but like I don't know I don't think it necessarily matters that much. It's not as big of a deal. Now it would help. It would help to obviously have your your whole staff in place in recruiting. Yeah, there's a lot of names that have been linked to the offensive coordinator job and the defense coordinator job. Auburn has got most of their position coaches, or at least feels like most of their position coaches and some of their off-field guys already in place. They're doing work in recruiting already. It's okay. What what comes up here with the coordinators in the next week or so? Some of the guys Auburn is linked to, like Chris Kiffin's one of them. He's currently coaching in the NFL. Does he get to finish his season out in the NFL? You know, the Browns are bad, but um, is that the move that they go with? Do they go and pluck somebody, you know, from another school, another Power 5 school to be your defensive coordinator? One thing to keep in mind is that there is a there is a carousel within the carousel that usually happens right after early signing period. It sucks, but it happens every year where guys don't really make moves until after the recruiting the big recruiting periods settled in. And that again, it sucks for the players, but it happens. I mean, I think we get I think we get thought of, you know, when 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 a new staff is in place is like, well, everybody needs to like go ahead and make all these hires, get everything set up. Well, if you're getting guys who are who are coaching elsewhere right now, they they might not move, they might not get all their options weighed out until after they're done. Like, because right now they're on the recruiting trail. That's something they're going to have to commit to. Unless you're 100 percent being like, I'm gone, I'm leaving, I'm going to this place. Like, you got to be out there on the tra- on the trail. And so I think there's some of that that might be happening in regards to some coordinator candidates for Auburn. And so keep that in mind. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's hurting Auburn as much. You know, it could help, like I said, to have your coordinators in place. And we talked about it on the premium podcast earlier this week, Painter. Like I can, I can see why Auburn fans are antsy, but it's like, also like it's, it's, it's interesting because they're taking the initial staff approach of like announce all the hires all at once. Even though we know that Zach Etheridge the crime dog and the new offensive line coach Thornton and you've got Christian Robinson and you've got uh, Jeremy Garrett for the defensive line. You know all these guys are already out recruiting. You already know some of the, some of those guys are already out there doing it. I think some of these coordinators that Auburn's going after are still weighing their decisions in the midst of the most chaotic time to recruit uh, unless you're you know in the NFL and you've got actual games left to coach. My stance continues to be, I get it, Auburn fans, but I think patience here. You're not playing a game anytime soon. You're not practicing anytime soon. You will be fine having to wait a little bit. It won't make or break uh, Hugh Freeze's tenure. won't make or break his first season. Uh, but got to be in a wait-and-see mode, I think, is the, is the best way. And there's some names that have been linked to the Auburn job. Uh, it's the, offense, uh, the defense coordinators of Mississippi State or NC State or, you know, other places that be really good hires if Auburn's able to, to make it or if it's kind of more of guys that Hugh Freeze has had experience with in the past. Well, 
there was a while we were recording this, there was a tweet from uh, from CFB Matrix that pointed out that Liberty was one of only uh, let's see, there's I think it's nine teams. Yeah, nine teams in college football, college football FBS that had a top twenty-five composite scoring offense and defense. Cincinnati, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Liberty, Michigan, Florida, Tennessee, and Coastal Carolina. It's a pretty good who's who of uh, of coaches and, and and the and the production there. So, you know, wouldn't be the wouldn't be the absolute worst thing in the world for Auburn if they try to um, if if Euphries tries to get some of his staff. And some of his success that he had at Liberty, try to parlay it into Auburn jobs, which he's already done with some of his assistants. We shall see, though, uh, how all that wraps up. I'm having a hard time saying words. Also, before we go, I think Painter, I think Painter, you wanted to talk about you wanted to talk about Robbie Ashford, and we'll do that. Before we do that, want to want to shout out friend of the uh, friend of the newsletter. Uh, friend of going back to our days uh doing doing the radio game Trevon Reed staying on staff at Auburn going to be retained by by uh, Hugh Freeze in a in a key role he's been a big part for Auburn behind the scenes and in recruiting uh and he is one of our favorites all the way back in his days of coming on the show uh with us and uh you know he's 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 doing some big things for Auburn football so shout out to Trevon always always good to see a dude like that continue to work at a place that he loves Painter, you wanted to talk so, about Robbie Ashford. Though. Yeah, the happy for Javon was always in my limited interactions with him, extremely nice, and seems to be well liked by recruits and people that he works with, which I think is a pretty good indication of who you are. If most people who spend the most amount of time around you like you. As for Robbie, the two things I've noticed most with online discourse about the upcoming roster tend to pertain to Tank Bigsby. And I think most Auburn fans have been realistic in that he is not likely to be on the team next year. And I've also seen fans being understanding that he should absolutely go get his money. The other thing I continue to see is about Robbie Ashford's development, which I think is curious. I think I can find some reasons why Auburn fans might be cautiously optimistic about Robbie's performance with Hugh Freeze as his head coach. Freeze, of course, has a track record of doing this. I am a little bit skeptical, quite frankly. However, there is some, there are some elements to Robbie's game that I understand why fans find it alluring, maybe, maybe find it believable that he's going to take a big step forward next year. Again, I'm skeptical, but I can, I can piece that together. I can follow the logic. So here's the here's the thing with Robbie Ashford is that I I think it's the fact that he was so inconsistent as a passer had a good bit to do with the fact that he was playing hurt last season. He's playing through injuries. I don't think it can can fully explain being a less than fifty percent passer. I don't think it can fully fully ca- cover for all of that, right? Because you know, it's just that's such a low number compared to most FBS quarterbacks at that level. I do know that Robbie Ashford, especially in the month of November, when it came to tucking the ball and going and making plays with his legs, that was as good as Auburn's had at quarterback since Nick Marshall. And Bo was really good at making plays with his legs, but as a runner and a playmaker with his, like, Robbie had it. Robbie had it. And so 
you see that potential. It was a limited sample size throwing the ball. But what Malik Willis did at Auburn and how it was like, well, it probably is never, never going to come fully together for him here throwing it. Well, he goes to Liberty. He goes under Hugh Freeze. He gets another coach. And, yes, it wasn't against high-quality competition overall, but it got him to the point where he was a draftable NFL quarterback. So that, to me, is where the connection is with Robbie Ashford. It's like, okay, can you can you see Auburn putting – you know, doing doing that again. Can can you see Hugh Freeze pulling that off? And I don't think Robbie Ashford's going to look like Joe Burrow next year. And I don't think Robbie Ashford is going to you know just magically become like a seventy percent passer or anything like that. But if you can get into the neighborhood of around sixty percent and run the ball like he can, yeah, that that absolutely in the Hugh Freeze offense can be a winning quarterback. That a hundred percent can be a winning quarterback. But. It's going to take a lot to get to that that level. And I also know that with no Zach Calzada, since he's in the transfer portal, and the thought, you know, the prevailing thought that TJ Finley might not be around next season for Auburn, you have Holden Garner, you have another quarterback currently uh, in the, uh, you have another quarterback cur- currently in the uh, com- uh, recruiting class, and you're recruiting another one. By the way, you have Keon Jenkins, who we talked with with Christian last week. Auburn had an official visit this weekend from Ole Miss commit Marcel Reed, uh, who is uh, top twenty quarterback nationally, uh, top three hundred prospect overall, good four star player from Nashville. Um, Auburn's trying to work hard to flip him. So, like, you're going to need more quarterbacks. You're not going to be able to just get it get through that with just a couple. So. I was asked this in the mailbag. There's some, there are a number of guys that's transfers that make sense to me. That like, oh, you could see where this fits in with a with a Hugh Freeze offense. Whether it's like Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech or um, Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. But it's one of those things where is Auburn going to be in a position to say, or is there going to be a guy in the portal where you're like, yeah, you come here and we know you're going to be our starter because you have Robbie Ashford and you have guys that you're trying to recruit or trying to keep in the boat when it comes to, you know, like Holden Garner as a, as a young player, like, do you want, do, do you want to promise heaven and earth to, to a new starting quarterback in the transfer portal? Or do you want to go get another guy like Robbie Ashford, another guy like uh, TJ Finley was, or Zach Calzada was in the portal and, you know, have an open competition and let it rip. So, if I were a betting man, I would bet on Ashford being your starter next year because I don't. We don't know what Auburn's approach is going to be in the portal yet. To my knowledge, they haven't really offered or really heavily pursued any of the big name quarterbacks in the portal yet. But there are some that would make sense, and I, you know, you could see where maybe the dominoes fall for Auburn in terms of can they flip Marcel Reed? Are they keeping Jenkins in? What does the transfer portal look like with outgoing guys? Um, so. I'm with you. I think that's what it's going to, that once again is it's going to drive this, this, this off season's conversation of what does Auburn do at quarterbacks? The most important position on the field. And it's a very intriguing one because you have a guy with potential, but not a lot of throwing success working under a a staff that has had and, and a head coach that has had some success stories like Ashford in the past. 
but it is the transfer portal era. It is the turn everything around quickly era in, in recruiting. So it's going to be fascinating to see. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. But until we see what kind of caliber target Auburn is going after in the portal at quarterback, I would lean, I would lean towards seeing what you, what like thinking that you're probably going to lean towards what you can get with uh, Robbie Ashford next season. But it's a long way to go between now and then whole lot to be determined. I'm sure we'll end up talking about the quarterbacks again. I, I, I bet we'll talk about them before the end of the year, <laughs> just to be honest. Like, I think that's, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for us. Appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you again for the reviews, uh, to the two of you who won the gift cards, shoot me an email. Um, and, uh, we'll get that set up so you can go ahead and, uh, and, and get your home field, uh, and to everybody else. Thank you again. Uh, it helps us out a ton and, uh, we'll, we'll go back to this again. We will do this again, uh, because it was so successful and, uh, we like giving people home field stuff. We'll be back later this week. Auburn basketball plays again on Wednesday night. So we might have our next podcast Thursday or Friday. We'll talk about the Georgia state games. We'll preview the West coast swing for Auburn when they play USC, uh, next Sunday, I will be there. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and then, yeah, any, any new football news and developments, you can check out, keep, keep track of everything in the roster with the, uh, with the transfer portal and, uh, with the, the scholarship count. Uh, if you're a subscriber, you can check out the chart. We keep that up to date. I'll be doing a fresh set of updates here shortly. And, um, yeah, more newsletters throughout the week on football and basketball sign up at the observer before we go shout out to this story painter. I don't know if you've seen this, uh, this is a story from the financial times here on Sunday. U S scientists boost clean power hopes with the fusion energy breakthrough. Apparently they figured out, uh, they finally figured out how to come up with a zero carbon alternative to fossil fuels. And they've got early research that, uh, we might have a new form of energy out there. We might be might be making some nuclear things happening safely, hopefully. Um, so shout out to the scientists of the world. A lot of you who are a lot smarter than us listen to this podcast. Uh, and uh, shout out shout out to this. This popped up while we were on while we were recording, and I was like, it's one of those things where you see a story and you're like, wow, this could like everybody reacting to it is like, wow, this could potentially like be like <laughs> life changing. And it's like, yeah, it's going to drop on a Sunday afternoon in the financial times. All right, let's do it. That's it for me. Painter, your final thoughts. Shout out to phone companies for the upgrade fee. Uh, Alpha move to charge customers for giving you more money. 